You are now listening to The Big Trade with Peter Pham, enlightening conversations for maximum market returns. Jim, thank you for um, inviting us to your lovely home to spend it's, some it's time with us. It's my pleasure, Peter. I'm delighted to, to do this. Um, we, we've had so many um, questions that we wanted to ask you in terms of everything that's been going on in the whole world as of late. Maybe I can start off by asking you about um, the sonnet that you have in your book, Street Smarts, um, Osmond Diaz. Um, it's a very interesting choice. I don't know if you're familiar, but it's, um, it's used quite a bit in popular culture. And yeah, there's, um, I know you mentioned to me that you don't really watch that much TV, but there's um, quite a few popular shows out right now, like um, Breaking Bad, um, that have highlighted that, that sonnet as, I think, one of the, the main opening monologues of the show as well. So I noticed that you mentioned that in your book. Maybe you can tell everyone um, why you use that sonnet well, and what you thought the significance was. I don't have a TV, so I was to totally unaware of that. <laughs> and I, n not too much on popular culture, right. so I'm doubly unaware of I am delighted to hear that uh, that that poem or that sonnet has become so so popular and so widespread. Uh, I use it because one of the points of my book uh, is that no matter what you think you know about the world, it is changing. The world right. is always changing. No matter what the world thinks today is reality, in 15 years, as soon as 15 years, it's going to change completely. Mm -hmm. Think back to any, think back to 1900, and what people thought and what happened in 1915, or 1915 and what people thought by 1930. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's astonishing how wrong we always are. How the world changes and it changes rapidly, uh, much less in the in the time period implied in that in that sonnet. Uh, you know, and no matter how powerful and strong. We think we are, whether it's we being America or no matter you pick the country, I assure you, I assure you it's all going to change. You go back, I don't know if you've ever been to Venice, but Venice at one time was one of the richest and most uh, powerful countries in, in the world, not just in Europe, but in the world. Uh, and you go there and you see on the wall the list of the presidents. None of us have ever heard of them. Right. Uh, back, you know, when Napoleon marched into Venice and, and destroyed the country or, or took over the country, there was no, there been no president since. But none of us, nobody, and even in Venice, can name any of the old presidents of Venice. So no matter who we are, what we are, where we are, don't worry. Right. You, you don't have a chance. In terms of the poem, um, as you indicated, it sounds like potentially some foreshadowing of what could potentially happen to states in the future. Let's take in, um, you know, modern-day context Not of this. could, will. Will, will. Absolutely, you know, I, I've been a lot of places, and I'm interrupting you, but I've been a lot of places, and you see how rich they once were, mm -hmm. whether it's Belfast or Prague, whatever. You see how rich they once were. You go to other places, and you see unbelievably rich they were, and they're destroyed. There's right. nothing left. You go to, uh, um, what was the place, uh, Hannibal, uh, Carthage. Right. You go to Carthage. I mean, Carthage at one time was the terror of the Roman Empire. Mm -hmm. Carthage is just flat. 
There's nothing there except uh, stones and ruins. So it, it doesn't really matter who you are. Rome, I mean, Rome went from a population of, of millions to a population of a few, of a few thousand right. uh, by the time it, it got into its uh, major decline. So it really doesn't matter. It, whoever it is, someday we're all going to go to New York and we're going to look around if the buildings are still there and say, my God, these guys must have had a huge amount of money right. once upon a time. Many of the buildings will have fallen down or be abandoned or bombed if, if war comes. But no, it's, it doesn't matter who you are. It's going to end. J Jim, in terms of, because it's going to end, in terms of succession, you know, what's in terms of the, the pipeline of what could be next? Like you mentioned Rome, it was actually the barbarians that preceded the Roman Empire, which eventually led to the Dark Ages. Does the well, the Romans actually ruined themselves because yes, you know, they, they, they spent money, they debased the currency, they right. went huge debt, staggering number of regulations, all the things which have been, which have happened throughout history, and then what really brought them down was they stopped paying pension to the soldiers. Mm -hmm. They didn't have enough money. Well, yep. the soldiers didn't like that, so the soldiers started, you know, going around getting their own pensions. Uh, but yes, it did go into decline. Sorry, so, so and then what, the barbarians, you, of course, yeah. marched in because there was nobody to defend it. Yeah, because it was the, the policies of the state that, that eventually led to the decline of the Roman Empire, leaving them relatively vulnerable to barbarians. In, in, in a modern-day context, say if we are concerned about everything that's happening in, in the current um, empire, like the United States, what do we see surpassing that? I know you talk a lot about Asia in some sense, but... Well, as I look at the world in the 21st century, China, in my assessment, will be the, the next great country in the world, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. A lot of people don't like it, but uh, I don't see anybody else that can uh, compete with or replace the U.S. The 19th century was certainly the century of the U.K. 20th century was the century of the U.S. Well, the 21st century is going to be the century of China. Uh, not just of Asia, but of China. China right. Asia will boom and benefit, but China will be the, the next great country. D does that concern you a little bit, though, Jim, in terms of a potential predecessor such as China as a kind of like a centrally planned economy? I know you've criticized um, too much intervention, artificial stimulus. I certainly do. Like uh, China, China calls themselves communist, Peter, but let me tell you, they're among the best capitalists in the world. I know people say they're the best capitalists in the world right now. A planned economy, yes, I guess to some extent, but look, California is more communist than China is. Mm -hmm. Massachusetts is more planned. America's more centrally directed than China is at the moment. Uh, people think that China is this, this vast, and it is to some extent, don't get right. me wrong, that the, the government, the central government has a lot of power, but the Provincial governments have a lot of power, too, and the, the, the capitalists have a lot of power. I, uh, I don't worry that China's too centrally planned. It's going the other way. It's becoming less and less uh, centrally planned, whereas America and some of the Western countries are becoming more and more centrally planned and directed. What do you think about um, aspects of like the foundation of law, such as rule of law, which has made Western societies much... There is no question that the rule of law is extremely important if you're going to have a, a sound, stable, uh, growing economy. It's been proved many times in history. 
Unfortunately, as we know, the rule of law in America is becoming less and less. You know, now even the Constitution, now they can break down your door if they want to. They can go into your bank account. They yeah. can go into your bedroom. They can do anything they want. A lot of those freedoms and guarantees we once had no longer, no longer exist, unfortunately. Uh, that is, again, going the other way in China. Now, please don't, I'm not uh, defending anything that China has done in the past few decades, but when I first went to China over 30 years ago, there was one radio, one newspaper, one TV, one everything, one way to dress. Right. You know, everybody thought it the same way, and if you didn't agree, you probably got shot or went to jail. But now there are thousands of demonstrations every year, tens of thousands of demonstrations every year in China from people demanding their rights and demanding that, you know, the government not do some of the crazy things that dictatorial governments have done in the past. It, it's changing. I, I, again, I don't defend, I certainly don't defend Mao Zedong. You know, Mao Zedong ruined China. Uh, but China's going the other way, and I presume it will continue. Right. So, Jim, as the author of Hot Commodities and, and Bull in China, as you know, as of late, um, there's been a big decline in commodity prices. What I've observed is that uh, China, through their own futures market, is becoming the largest active trader of commodities or many of the big commodities that they're a large importer of. Um, and ironically, the, the parties that make up the largest volume of some of these future indices in China uh, are directed effectively by the PBOC, such as the commercial banks within China and some uh, Chinese retail investors. Right now, that seems to be the dominant um, volume in terms of active participation for these future markets. It's already surpassed um, New York, Chicago, and London. What are your thoughts on that, uh, first and foremost? And then secondly, if you observe like inflation indicators within China, like the PPI, we've seen that um, year on year, PPI is on the decline. It seems to indicate to me that the Chinese have been able to uh, manage somewhat um, the, the inflationary pressures of commodities to some extent. And I'm, I'm getting a sense that because they feel as if they can have exert that influence on commodity prices, that they've been more open to allow the price of their equity markets to, to do a little bit better. And that's why there seems to be a focus towards, um, you know, a global integration between Chinese equities and, um, and international investment. So as basically in a nutshell, we've seen the decline of commodity prices. We've seen the, the rise of Chinese equities as of late. Do you think that we can live in a world where both paradigms of, of bull markets in both Chinese equities and global commodities can coexist? Or do they need to, I guess, offset each other on occasion to allow one to, to do well? well it's a long-winded question, but... <laughs> it was a long-winded question. I can't even remember the beginning. No, no, I can't, I can't. I'm just kidding. Uh, there, is, there is no question that commodity trading in China has grown dramatically, uh, but it, and it's blocked. I mean, you and I cannot go to China and right. start buying soybeans or gold or whatever we want. It's very difficult. I mean, it could be, it could happen, but it's very, very rare and very difficult for non-Chinese 
to trade in the Chinese commodity markets. And yet, Dalian, the commodities exchange in Dalian, trades more soybean contracts in Chicago. Right. And Chicago invented it, as, and as you so aptly point out. You know, the volume in these markets in China is staggering, and they're still close to the outside world. You cannot imagine how big they're going to be once uh, outsiders, or the, once they become real international markets, they're, they're going to... They're going to take the business away from Chicago. Chicago, London, New York, which you mentioned, will no longer be the dominant markets in the world mm -hmm. because China will put them out of business or certainly take away most of their business. That is definitely going to happen. Uh, by the way, before the Second World War, the largest financial market between New York and London was Shanghai, uh, and it will be again eventually. As far as whether you can have... Uh, and then at, to your point about Chinese stocks, yes, Chinese stocks have started going up again for a variety of reasons, one of which is that China, as China becomes more and more open, they realize, I mean, you've got to have financial markets if you're right. going to be a major economic player in the world. I mean, you can't have closed markets and closed everything and still be a big player in the world mm -hmm. scene, and they know that, and they are opening. They're not opening as fast as I would, I would have done it all last year or yesterday or tomorrow. Uh, for whatever reasons, they're doing it very, very slow, slowly, too slowly, in my view. But it is happening more and more. And that's one reason the stock market is going up. They are trying to give people incentives to invest in the stock market again. Their stock market peaked in 2007. This is eight years ago. Uh, and it's been went down 60 or 70, actually went down 70 percent. And it's now coming back up for a variety of reasons. Can you have stocks and commodities go up at the same time? It's rare in history that that happens. Normally, you have commodities going up in their own bull market and, or, and stocks not so well, and vice versa. Uh, it can happen. Of course, anything can happen in the financial markets. You can have a bull market in stocks and commodities. One reason you have bull markets in stocks when commodities are down is because the cost of goods, the cost of input, mm -hmm. is down when commodities are in bear markets, and so companies can be more profitable. And vice versa, when commodities are in bull markets, it's more difficult for companies to be profitable, and that's why they usually do not go together. China, given the fact that it is an expanding and growing and new economy, could be different. Uh, will it be different? I don't know. I'm, I'm optimistic about some commodities, less optimistic ab about others at the moment. But longer term, I'm still optimistic about commodities, uh, certainly in China. It, it would seem to me, Jim, is that if, if I was a large importer of a particular commodity and I effectively now have a big influence on, on the price of the commodity through my exchanges and through the directive of the PBOC, I would want to buy commodities at the lowest prices possible. So, like, here's a perfect example, Jim. If we've seen the 60% decline on, on crude oil prices, um, if you take a look at the impact in terms of economic growth for China, you're looking at potentially up to 1% impact uh, on year-on-year -year growth for China due to this decline in oil price. Wouldn't you know, we, we're, I think one of our thesis is that maybe we'll see commodity prices continue, well, they're in a bull market, right? And how can you, or why would you, if you could have influence on the price of a particular commodity, 
want to be buying at higher prices when you could clearly buy at lower prices to some extent. Well, it's wonderful. Yeah, we'd all like to buy as low as possible, and China is the second largest economy in the world. But then the markets have more money than China. The markets have more money than everybody. Right. And you might, one might be able to manipulate prices for a day, a week, a month. But in the end, the markets are bigger than central banks, governments, and everybody else. And so uh, it's, it's a wonderful theory that the, China, that the Chinese are powerful enough to drive down the price of oil. What's happened with the price of oil is actually Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia, clearly. Saudi yeah. Arabia has dumped oil because America was, as you may remember, America was negotiating with Iran. Those negotiations hit their deadline. Uh, last July uh, and were extended, but it was shortly after that that Saudi Arabia started dumping oil because mm -hmm. America said, listen, we got to dump oil to put pressure on Iran because they're not giving in to us, and Russia, we need to put pressure on Russia. So Saudi Arabia was happy to do it because they need to do something about the frackers, right. or at least slow down the frackers. They can't stop the frackers, but they can slow them down. Uh, by bringing some sanity to, you know, fracking is those guys have borrowed staggering amounts of money right. at low, at relatively low interest rates. So that this will bring some sanity to the fracking market as well. So this is all a political move, which has happened because Saudi Arabia has enough oil and enough staying power to knock down the price of, of oil. China, I don't see... What, what about they don't have enough physical supplies to right. do something like that. They're short. In terms of like copper, iron ore, um, well, commodities where first off they, they do, they're a big player with well, the futures markets. They are the biggest yeah. in, in, the, in the two you mentioned, but, but you remember the iron ore companies went nuts and expanded in a very, very dramatic way. So mm -hmm. it's not, no matter what China did, those guys in Australia especially, and, and Brazil and the U.S. even, opened staggering amounts of capacity. Right. It's not as though the Chinese suddenly said, let's dump iron ore. China doesn't have a lot of excess iron ore. Right, the, right. the iron, excess iron ore came from Australia uh, and the other things too. It's not as though I cannot think of anything, well, maybe rare earths China could dump, but there's not much where China has so much excess that they could dump something and drive prices down. Now they could conceivably manipulate in the futures markets, but... That could be, potentially, right? Yeah, but again, I've been around a long time, <laughs> and it's very hard to manipulate some of those. I mean, it's, it's just very hard to, over any long period of time, sure, I'm sure you can drive down the price of cotton mm -hmm. for a day or a week or a month, but to, to manipulate these prices over any long period of time, unless it's something like Saudi Arabia with oil, I don't, I don't see it happening. Yeah, uh, prior and to... And that's because Saudi Arabia has a lot of oil. Exactly. Prior to talking um, to you, I actually was... Because I, I was looking at the dynamics of what China is doing in terms of the future markets, the volume, you know. Um, obviously, the difference between Saudi Arabia is China cannot <coughs> act as a cartel in some shape or form because they're not the supplier of these commodities. They're a net importer. But clearly, I, I could imagine that they could, in theory corner some of these markets, such as like iron ore, copper, um, soybeans, you know, there, there's always that potential? Well, I have certainly advised, not that anybody would listen, but I've advised the Chinese that they should, they've got all those staggering 
foreign currency reserves. I would say, I said, well, listen, why are you buying government bonds? I just print more government bonds. Why don't you stockpile oil or yeah. copper or uh, dozens of other things, which A, you will have a use for, and B, <laughs> they cannot be debased. Mm -hmm. you know, if you have huge stockpiles of cotton, someday you may need them, whereas U.S. dollars and government bonds, someday you may be desperate to get rid of them. Uh, it, it, it would be it would make sense to me that they should stockpile. And your your theory is that they're manipulating and driving down the price so they can buy more at a cheap price. I mean, I have heard well, I've heard a guy who says that the world is conspiring to drive down the price of gold so that Chinese can accumulate a lot of gold, <laughs> and then all everybody's going to conspire to drive the price of gold through the roof once the Chinese have enough so that they are equal to others. Uh, I've heard a lot of conspiracy theories in my day. Most of them I don't buy, mm -hmm. just because it would take too many people to, to do to the gold, let's use the gold market, the, the, the silver market. There's conspiracy theorists about gold and silver that I've heard for 35 years now. Well, if they were all true, it would take thousands of people right. around the world to conspire to drive down the price of gold and keep it down. Somebody would have talked mm -hmm. by now. Some evidence would have come out right. because you would have had to have all these central banks and bureaucracies conspiring. We would know by now. I mean, human, humans are not that secretive, you know, especially if somebody could write a, a bestseller saying, Aha, I can explain to you why the price of silver is down, and here's the evidence. That's one reason I don't buy the conspiracy theorists. Jim, you also discuss about like the super bull markets um, in commodities that typically, on average, last a minimum of, of 17 years. I said the average in the past. In the past. It's yeah. been 17 yeah. years. That does not mean it will be in the future. Not necessarily. You, you indicated that the most recent Commodity super cycles. They started in, in 1999. Yes, it did. Um, would the, you the, say the, that where the the bear market ended in 1999? Yeah, the bear yes, market. Yes, ended. yes. Would Would you say that we're more near the end, or well, obviously well, it's 16 years later, so yeah. we're clearly closer to the end. Uh, but I would remind you that if you look at the bull market in stocks between 1982 and 2000. Uh, there were several times when stocks collapsed. Mm -hmm. 1987, stocks went down 40 to 80 percent around the world. 89, 94, there were several times when the prices of stocks collapsed, and everybody said the bull market was over. Mm -hmm. It wasn't. Uh, is the bull market over in commodities? I don't think so, but maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's already ended. It's been a few years. Right. It's not as though it started yesterday. Yeah. It started yeah. a long time ago. Let's, let's talk about Russia, right? We've talked a little bit about China. You've made a lot of comments on Russia, for yeah, example, the policy. I would be buying Russia right now if I weren't talking to you, uh, <laughs> if it's open. I guess it's not open. Not, not yet, not yet. Not yet. Too early. Uh, yes, I'm optimistic about Russia. Uh, if, by the way, if you want to buy oil or energy, a way to buy would be to buy Russia because the currency was de demolished and the markets were demolished by the collapse of the price of oil. So it would be a good, if not, well, a very good way to invest if you think the price of oil is going up. 
uh, I, I could, uh, Russia has huge natural resources, has big financial resources. It is not a debtor nation like the U.S. Mm -hmm. and some of the other nations we all know and love. Uh, no, I would rather be buying Russia than selling. And as I say, if I weren't talking to you right now, I'd be buying at least one thing I want to go buy. What, what do you think, because I, I, I saw publicly some of your, your comments were prior to um, some intervention made by Russia to, to protect their currency a little bit. Do, do you think, are, are you okay with that? Because well, you were uh, praising how they allowed the, the currency to, to float. Yeah, right? no, I think it's, it's usually the best. Intervening uh, artificially usually does not do anything except give investors or speculators a target. If you know, if somebody, if a central bank says we're going to keep the price at ten, mm -hmm. then everybody knows. There's no like with the Swiss recently. Right. You know, the Swiss said we're going to keep the price at one twenty. Well, everybody knew. Then there's no risk. <laughs> and the, the, it's going to be at one twenty no matter what. And if it ever goes up, we could make a lot of money. Uh, so it, artificial in, uh, interference it rarely works and is never good. Uh, I was disappointed, I won't say disappointed, there's been very little intervention. Uh, I was pleased to see no intervention. There has been a little intervention, mm -hmm. but very little. And I hope they don't uh, succumb and try to intervene in the market because in the end they'll just lose a lot of money because right. the markets have more money than they do. So uh, I, I appreciate that answer because it seems as if in terms of investing and speculating, you, you separate that relative to like, you know, your, your views on, on markets and, and states and state policies to some extent, right? You're, you, you can understand what, what works, what ideally would work for markets, but it doesn't take um, that away from capturing an opportunity that exists to say, for example, if you don't really like the idea of intervention, you, you still can utilize that as an investor or trader, right? No, well, of course you can. I mean, I can sit and tell you I don't think it's good to intervene, but so I'm not going to do anything. Well, that's absurd. Right. I mean, that's, because they didn't say the Swiss shouldn't be doing it, so I'm not going to do anything. Huh. What you should do is buy Swiss francs, because it cannot work. I mean, I wrote in one of my books. Right, uh, Street Smarts. Have, yeah, I wrote it in the book. It cannot work. It will not work. So at worst, you buy Swiss francs and sit and just wait. At best, you make a lot of money. So are you bullish overall on, on like, um, the Swiss economy in general? And no, that's, different. that's an entirely different. different story. Yeah. Entirely different story from what the, the mistakes that the Swiss bank made. No, I'm not terribly bullish on Switzerland uh, longer term. Their, their largest or one of their largest industries was the financial industry. Well, I mean, they've totally botched it in the past few decades. They're no longer competitive. You know, when you have a monopoly or a semi-monopoly, uh, corrosion occurs from within. People don't have to work as hard. They don't work as hard. Their prices will go up. And the Swiss had a monopoly on, on financial finance. Mm -hmm. But they got lazy, and their performance was not very good, and their prices were very high. And it's, it's losing position. I mean, Singapore, Hong Kong, many... Many other financial centers are growing, partly because the, the Swiss got so complacent, mm -hmm. as everybody does after long periods of dominance. And I, I don't see the Swiss 
financial industry ever coming back to what it was before. And this is, has nothing to do with the fact of bank secrecy and the rest of it. That's just another uh, nail in the coffin uh, of the dominance of the Swiss financial industry. So no, I, I don't see it continuing to be a great dynamic economy at all. Uh, there are strengths. People like to ski there, for instance. It is good for some people who want to live there uh, for many, many reasons, tax reasons. I mean, it is a lower, lower tax place to do business. But uh, no, I, I, I would not, uh, anybody who moves to Switzerland now has to do so because he loves it, not because it has great advantages that it did 50 years ago or 40 years ago. Right. So you're, you're looking at um, that from a global opportunity cost perspective, right? And you're saying that um, you know, markets like, like Singapore are more accommodating to... They're more uh, energetic, ambitious. You know, they don't have 200 years of being Swiss bankers behind them, and so they <laughs> have to work harder in Hong Kong and Singapore and places like that. Jim, what are your thoughts on um, Myanmar? As of late, I, I've heard that they might um, postpone the the initial opening of their their markets. Well, they've been postponing it for a long time. Yeah, uh, I presume they're going to open it eventually. And when they do, I hope I'm smart enough to invest. There's setbacks along the way. Everybody, everything has setbacks. You know, in America in the 19th century, as we were rising to be the greatest country in the world, we had a horrible civil war. We had 15 depressions with a D. Very few human rights massacres in the streets. I mean, we were a mess quite a lot, and yet we did okay. If you bought the, the collapses in the U.S., you would have come out way ahead. Uh, Myanmar was certainly, uh, look at China. Right. China started opening up in 1978. Well, there were plenty of bad things happening in China between 1978 and today. So there will be problems in Myanmar. I'm not sure what or when, but uh, I'm not worried that, the, that Myanmar is not a great place for the next few decades. Okay. And wh what do you think about North Korea as of late? I, I know you... I'm wildly bullish on North Korea. I wish I could put a lot of money into North Korea. I cannot because, I'm, A, I'm an American, and B, there's just not that many things you can do. Right. Uh, there's no stock market, for instance, no futures markets. Um, they, they send people out, a lot of people are out in Singapore and other places, learning about capitalism, learning about property markets, learning about stock markets, but those things, those markets are still very rare and, and undeveloped right now. So it's not that easy. To Have you been following this this recent story? It, it kind of transcended into popular culture as well, Jim. It's it's a I story. I don't know about popular culture. Okay, so no, but, I haven't. Yeah, you'll like this one. It's very interesting. Um, there were these. Um, there was a, a studio, um, Sony. Sony Pictures, right? They made. Oh this yeah, that, movie. that's about the movie. Yeah, the movie. Yeah, yeah I know about that. Yes. Um, even I know about. Even that. you know about that one. Yeah. Do you think that that will cause um, North Korea to continue to to sustain their their hermit status to some extent? No, no. So North Korea is opening up very rapidly and very dramatically. That uh, whoever did that, whether it was North Korea, which is seems unlikely, and the evidence seems right, it wasn't right. un, wasn't North Korea. Uh, no, no, they continue to open up. I mean, they're opening up rapidly. There are, 15, there are 13 free trade zones now. You can go and participate in international marathons, mm -hmm. uh, international wrestling matches. You can take bicycle tours of North Korea now. 
art tours, movie tours. I mean, if the father were alive, he'd probably shoot the kid. <laughs> uh, if the grandfather were alive, oh my God, the grandfather would torture him and then hang him. There's no question. But no, the kid's opening up very rapidly. Are, are you pro-reunification, um, or are you thinking that... Am I pro? Well, who would be against it? Uh, it seems like a lot of people in South Korea might be against that. Cause not they feel a lot, as if, but some. Yeah, there's yeah. some. There's, the, America's against it. Right. Japan's against it. Uh, Japan will not be able to compete with the United North Korea. America wants to keep 30,000 troops on the Chinese border. Mm -hmm. uh, so America's against it, and Japan's against it. But and may add, of course, there are always a few people against anything. There were people who were against unification of Germany. Exactly. There uh, were a lot of growing pains initially as well, right? It was in there were, smooth there sailing. Always, there always are whenever some major change takes place. Uh, I'm sure there are people against the unification of North Korea and South Korea. I'm not one of them. I think it would be great for, I know it would be great for Korea. I know it would be great for Northeast Asia. I know it would be great for the world. Okay, three more questions, Jim. We're almost done. In, in terms of agriculture, how would you, I know you, you've mentioned many times that um, given the choice to be a farmer in China or a stockbroker, one might actually want to be a, a farmer in China. How, yes. how would... Um, or there are other places besides China, yeah, but yes, China. yes. What, what do you think about Vietnam, by the way? We're, we're yeah, actually... I'm sure Vietnam would be a great place to be a farmer going forward. Uh, any nation which has good land, good weather, uh, good soil would be a good, not any, but most places would be great if it would be an, a farmer or an agriculture. Right. So clearly you're not a farmer, but how, how would you a address this? Like, is there an investment opportunity besides... Well, they're huge. I'm, I'm not a farmer because I wouldn't be any good at it. So You've got to be, <laughs> no, matter, you know, no matter how bullish you are on farming, you could still fail. Right. You know, there are people who failed in the investment business, even with a long bull market. Mm -hmm. So it, just because something's in a bull market doesn't mean everybody's successful. Uh, and I would not be a successful farmer. In many ways to invest, you can, the best is to buy land and become a farmer. Uh, or buy land and lease it out. Or get the tractor dealership in some place. Or but Jim, open a restaurant. as you know, for places like um, China and Vietnam, the, the whole um, ownership of land, it's still based on like long-term leases, Th does that... Um, well, no, that's a negative, that's a that's major a, negative, so right. go someplace else. Go to the Congo, go to Ethiopia, go to Angola, there are plenty of places where you can uh, buy land and do things. But even in China, you can have a 60-year lease. Mm -hmm. Now, a 60-year lease is not great. It's better than a two-year yeah. lease, it's better than no lease. Uh, there are opportunities, but the best is to buy land someplace where you can and become a farmer. Mm -hmm. Or as I say, get the tractor dealership or the, just open restaurants, open restaurants in the farm areas if you're good at restaurants. I wouldn't be good at restaurants either. <laughs> Whatever you're good at, open a chain of shops or hotels, anything, because as the agricultural areas do better, those parts of the economy will do better, and that's a better place to be than places that aren't doing as well. Right, right. So, okay, so let, let's take a very introspective look. Uh, you know, there's a lot of young listeners as well. What, what kind of advice and, and significant events would you say help shape you as... Well, the only thing you can do to be successful is figure out what you love. 
When I was at university, I was going to go to law school and business school and medical school. I didn't have a clue what I wanted to be. Thank goodness I found the investment world because that was my pa I didn't know it was my passion. My passion was to know about the world and, and get involved with the world. And then all of a sudden I found this place where you could do it and make money. Mm -hmm. They'd pay you to do it. So the, 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 the key, and, and, and I didn't go to law school or medical school or business school. Uh, the thing that people need to do is figure out what they love and do it, no matter how ridiculous other people may think it is. Because mm -hmm. that's where you, first of all, you'll never go to work. You just wake up every day and start having fun right. if you're doing what you're doing. And those are the people who are the most successful because they love, they're passionate about what they do, no matter how absurd it may seem to others. And those are the people, and, and if they don't become rich, they don't care because they're right. so happy. <laughs> they're the happiest people in the world. They don't so, particularly so care like if they're for, rich. For your children, I know you're teaching, or you're having them uh, taught um, Mandarin, right? No, um, they speak Mandarin, yes. Okay. If, so you're fine with them following whatever it is that they're Absolutely. Following. I could care less what they do. If they want to become gardeners, it's fine with me. Whatever they want to do, uh, they do speak Mandarin, perfect Mandarin. You know, that's not going to make them successful mm -hmm. if they work in a restaurant. But at least they'll be the maitre d'. They won't be the dishwasher because right. they have an advantage that most other people don't have with English and Mandarin. Uh, no, I, I, it'd be absurd for me to tell them what they want to do because <laughs> then they, would, uh, they, wouldn't be, they wouldn't love it and they wouldn't be successful at it. Excellent. Okay, so let's, let's finish off this conversation with um, a word association game, Jim. So basically, okay. I'm going to say a word. You just say whatever word comes to your mind. Um, what do you think about quantitative easing? Forget it. Forget it. The Drop United it. States. Ignore it. Okay. End it. End it, I guess. It's end, end it. it. Yes. Okay. United States. In decline. George Soros. I have no idea. I haven't seen. You might as well ask me about my first wife. <laughs> I mean, that was 35 years ago. But you do, oh, you, maybe you hear about him sometimes, right? Not much. Not much. I'd say I, I'm not keen on popular culture. <laughs> Victor Niederhofer. Does that name ring a bell? Uh, yeah, of course. I used to know Victor. Uh, I, I, my, my, you said, I wonder where he is now. I haven't seen or heard, spoken to him or heard of him in a long time. So my, the one word is, where is he now? Where What's he, he up to now? Where's Waldo? Right, basically. Yeah, where's, where's Victor? It'd be, it'd be interesting. No, last I heard, he had. I knew he had six daughters, and then he had a son. He had with a lady. I can put you in touch. No, no, I can. I can. Oh, I can you're, you're, there you him, go. Go send him an email right now myself if I want to. <laughs> uh, I just. I have no idea. Of, my my one word reaction is where is he now? Okay. Singapore. Yeah, I'm very keen. We we live here. We're, we moved here. We're right. very keen on Singapore. Right, right. We don't have to live here. Nobody sent us here. Very keen on Singapore. The, the Remimbi. Own it. Own it. Yes. Cool. I own it. I've never sold any Remimbi. Uh, if there are opportunities. I mean, it's not, you can't just pick up the phone and buy Remimbi. Yeah. Uh, but every chance I get to legally buy Remimbi, I do so. In fact, that reminds me. I, there's a chance for me to buy some legally. <laughs> I want to buy some. And a final one, gold. Uh, own it is a, is a single word. Own it. Everybody should have some gold. 
as an insurance policy, if nothing else. Mm -hmm. Now, some people make a lot of money buying and selling gold, but everybody should have. Everybody has fire insurance, car insurance, health insurance. Everybody should own some gold as insurance, if nothing else. And the ones who know how to buy and sell it should make a lot of money if they, if they continue to do it right, buying and selling it. But everybody should own some gold as an insurance policy. Are you, are you working on another book? No. No? Done? Of course, I never thought I would do any books, much less <laughs> the ones I've done. No, I haven't. I want to say finished, but I've said that before, so I won't say it. Okay. But I think it's finished. Yeah, I think it's finished. Well, thank you, uh, Jim, for your time. It was really insightful. We hope you enjoyed this mastermind session. If you'd like to contact Peter Pham or Phoenix Capital, please email info at phx-cap.com.